If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Big Ben Strong is on the board. Will Erskine booking the guests. In the newsroom, Dave Woodard and Jen McQueen. Here's Scott Thompson. Hamilton today, uh, join the fun. All request Friday edition of, and man, do we need it. Oh, smokes, after the week that we've had, and the BS. <laughs> ah, and oh, yeah, and then just the realities of life, you know, raising your kids, paying your mortgage, putting some groceries on the table, maybe be able to uh, order a pizza on a Friday night. Ah. Uh, anyway, uh, where the heck was I? Uh, it is an all request Friday. Jump in 905-645-3221. You can talk, you can text, leave us your last word. Hammerhead trivia. Uh, again, touching on the great history of this fine city coming up in two hours time. Your chance at both Thai Cats tickets and Forge FC tickets on the line, uh, coming up after the five o'clock news. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, off the playlist of Jennifer McQueen, you know, I think this, you know, as you become an old man, you realize where your cutoff is in music. And I think for me, it's it was the millennial, <laughs> the millennial like, you know, and, and again, this is this is late 90s. But, you know, it, it's uh, Jen's uh, 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 more than a few years uh, younger than I am and has brought to this to our attention. And of course, I saw it in the news. Uh, that is California Love by Tupac, Las Vegas Police. And of course, Jen's just not a music fan. She's. She's on top of the old news uh, wheel, right? So uh, Las Vegas police have made an arrest for the first time in the 1996 killing of rapper Tupac Shakur, a person with firsthand knowledge of the arrest who wasn't authorized to publicly speak about the case, has told the Associated Press. Dwayne Davis was taken into custody Friday morning. Davis is the uncle of the suspected shooter and has long uh, been linked to the investigation. Uh, of course, the rapper, 25, when he was gunned down in a drive-by shooting near the Vegas Strip Club 27 years ago. Uh, the arrest comes two minutes after Vegas police searched the home and the home tied to or a home tied to Davis. So there you go. Uh, after many, many, many years, uh, finally some progress there. And we'll be uh, enjoying the vibe, the groove. How can you not listen to that uh, coming up uh, every single hour? Feel free to join us and add your own on this All Request Friday, 905-645-3221. You know what I say? I say we say to hell with a talk show and we just play music all day. Can we do that anymore? Are we allowed to do that? Are they? No, no, the judges are waving that one off. Huh? Why not? All right, whatever. Because, you know, I, I really think we need that. You know, I should just jump over. Uh, oh, never mind. So uh, anyway, feel free on this All Request Friday. 30 seconds of your favorite. In and out. There you go. Uh, getting into uh, segments. We would love to hear from you. And, of course, uh, everything that you have to say. And, um, yeah, we'll go from there. Last word, too. Always looking for that. 905-645-3221. Talk, text, and, of course, Hammerhead Trivia after the 5 o'clock news. Always send us a note. Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. All right. Uh, the economy basically flat with some modest growth. Don't want to really talk about that. Uh, the prime minister is cutting military spending by a billion bucks. Don't want to cut that. I don't want to talk about that. Uh, no, that's too opinionated. And no, that's too divisive because it's Friday. Uh, what else we got? Um, oh, pumpkins. Have you got your... <laughs> 
Is it me? Uh, do you have your pumpkin yet? Can you tell him I'm doing everything to avoid talking about the prime minister? Because you know where I'll go, don't you? You know where I'll go. Don't tempt me. But speaking of pumpkin heads, no, I didn't mean that. That is that that's not what I meant. I know I'm getting the eye. I'm getting the eye through the glass right there. There's your limit. There's your line. You know where the line is, Thompson? Look behind you. All right. So uh, have you got your pumpkin yet? And, and you know, I, I asked Ben this uh, this question uh, before we went on the air. And and of course, he hasn't. And the reason being is, is it still the month of September? So, um, you know, we seem to we seem to be in a fast food life where everything happens at 9000 miles an hour. And as a result of that, everything comes early. You know, you're you're literally doing like the trapeze act from one season to another or one Hallmark holiday to another. And you just can't start it earlier enough, uh, early enough. You know, and, and I remember, um, you know, working at a, a, a department store as a kid and, you know, you maintenance stuff. So you had to change all the posters as the season. And you sort of did it when, you know, um, uh, after, uh, you know, after Christmas was over, th- then you'd, uh, you know, I think it was um, maybe a week after that, you'd start putting up. Uh, no, it wouldn't be till like a month later. Oh, you know, you, you, sales, sales after Christmas. And then it, you'd be well into February before you start putting up like uh, Valentine stuff and such. So anyway, I'm asking who's got a pumpkin because um, <clears throat> we have. And I don't know, this is just one of those traditions that goes way back in the Thompson family. Even though, oh my God, are there, you know, the there kids in the house anymore? It's hard to tell. They're teenagers, they just kind of fly in and fly out. It's more of a... A food truck for them, I think. Anyway, uh, so we used to always do this, and uh, and we have a cottage, so uh, this would be part of that fun where you'd get a pumpkin, and because they're out now, you can get them. The people, like some people, got the hay bales out front. They got the you know, fall stuff is one thing, but do you want to make the jump to Halloween? Uh, you know. So anyway, uh, so we would start cutting them, like literally any time now, and of course by the time. And in many cases, you had to buy more than one because uh, like a week or so out of Halloween, because as as time went on over the course of the month, of course, the pumpkin would start to rot. But what you were guaranteed was by the time Halloween rolled around, you had an ugly looking pumpkin, man. And it was like colorful with all kinds of mold growing on it. You could see where the squirrels had starting to eat in parts of it. Uh, maybe the face is caving in again. The only drag is trying to stick your hand in that thing and light it because, you know, you're going to need to wash up after that. Uh, but it looks very, very scary. So, you know, one of the advantages of starting a little early and carving the pumpkin, by the time you get to Halloween, you truly have a jack-o'-lantern. You truly have something that's going to scare the bejeevers out of the kids. And you know what else you got? You got something the damn kids aren't going to steal. Because they try to pick that puppy up, it's falling all over their pants. And maybe their underwear, depending on how high those pants are pulled up. If my son's any indication. So anyway, uh, I don't know. Um, I, I, I agree that we shouldn't start too early, but if you see a pumpkin and maybe this is the weekend, just to have yourself a couple of cocktails and, uh, and start creating your jack-o'-lantern. Are you really? Are oh, you? Wow. Yeah. You've got young kids. How yeah. old are your kids? They're pumped, uh, nine and six. So half, oh, some decorations man. are already out on the, on the lawn and then I got to get the other ghosts. It's a whole thing. We said, okay, you got to be as close to October 1st as possible. So... <laughs> He wants and to, that, and my son wants to do pumpkins already. I'm like, it'll be rotten by the time we get to Halloween. Perfect. 
but you have to buy a couple. So you have to buy one, you know, every couple of weeks out. Yeah. So that's the way it is. <laughs> so how well, so they're, uh, what age again? Sorry. Nine and six. So that is the total Prime. primo age for Halloween. What are they going out as? Can you tell us yet? Yeah. So my son wants to be Ghostface from Scream. Uh, He's never yep. seen the movie, but he just knows all the horror. He loves horror characters. That's and excellent. My daughter doesn't know yet. She'll be a last minute decision, I'm sure, like last There year. you go. And you know, thank goodness things are at least back to normal now. So that's yes. uh, that's good. Oh, you guys will have a great time. And I'm sure Jay will have the house all decked out and the music going and whatever. Oh uh, he yeah, does. for <laughs> sure. Yeah, we get the, ha- the the spooky the spooky sounds going. It's a whole thing. Lights, everything. And somehow he'll figure out a way to put a disco ball into all yeah, of that. Absolutely. It's perfect. Man, we are in for an incredible stretch of weather over the next uh, several days, I believe. And, and you know, this time of the year, it's always hit and miss. You never know what you're going to get. But with the leaves starting to turn and uh, we're obviously in in full stride with the fall fair season, it is going to be a great weekend to get out and about in the hammer. And don't forget uh, the 151st edition of the Caledonia Fair. Uh, started yesterday and it's running through October 1st and, uh, all the great stuff that you see at a fair, whether it's livestock shows, uh, home craft exhibits, food, the midway, and of course, uh, the demolition derby. This is the 151st edition. I believed I participated in the demolition derby in the 125th edition of the Caledonia fair. And my back and neck are still sore. To talk about all of this, Jody Eason is with us, second VP of the Caledonia fair, chair of marketing and here now. Jody, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. I'm fantastic. It's fair time. I couldn't be any better. Uh, I can hear people screaming in the background. I mean, obviously, uh, a very exciting time to uh, to be up in Caledonia. So talk about it. You're into uh, officially opened yesterday. Talk about that a little bit and what you got going on through the weekend. Well, you know, we had a great opening night. Started at four o'clock in the afternoon and we raised a whole lot of uh, Donations came in food bank, which was wonderful. We do that every year on the Thursday night. Now, today it's Friday. We had hundreds and hundreds of school kids running around here during the day, learning all kinds of great things about rural living and having a great time with our wonderful entertainer. And they've gone home now, and the kids are starting to come in. The high schoolers are starting to make their way in for the <laughs> annual high school challenge, which is coming up in just a couple hours. All right, so uh, let's start with the school kids from yesterday. What sort of stuff are they going through? What are they learning? What are they finding out? Because uh, I remember doing this as a kid. It is it is a great part of living in a uh, in a small town, uh, getting the half a day off or whatever to go to the fair. Talk about what you're doing. Well, one of the main reasons for fairs to exist is agricultural education. And we have mm-hmm. in our dairy barn, we have a number of different displays about uh, you can see, you can get up close and personal with dairy animals, see what a modern dairy farm operates like and how you milk a cow. You can also see sheep and goats. And then we have a, uh, a whole big white tent in the middle of the fairgrounds with meet your local farmer. And you can go in there and talk to all kinds of different people about what farming is like now. Today, the kids were making ice cream with the, uh, the milk people. And, uh, We've also, we've got a virtual reality kiosk in there. You can do a virtual tour into a farm. Uh, We also have Squire McKinnon's Barn, which is our petting farm, which has all kinds of animals that you can get close to. And our poultry barn as well, which has poultry and pets. We've got a whole bunch of rabbits and all kinds of different chickens and hens and all sorts of clucking and interesting looking feathered animals. (laughs) So what's happening with the high school kids today? 
The high school challenge has been running since the late 80s, and it is eight really ridiculous games that the four local Haldeman County high schools come and participate in for all the glory they can grab plus money for their student council. So this is a huge Haldeman County tradition. And uh, they will start to come in shortly, and that show gets underway between 5 and 5.30 tonight. And afterwards, we switch over crowds again because it's the first of two nights of demolition derby at the grandstand. <laughs> it is nonstop action there. Uh, well, so what, we, have get, a, we have a small grounds, but we pack it in. You can't turn around without seeing something. So what are some of the challenges the high school kids do? Well, we've every single year, there's one event that we've had every single year, which we call the snowshoe race, the snowboard race. And we've got these two long, um, yeah, two yeah I know what you mean. Yeah, things. yeah. And they, you get four people on it in a row, and each of them has uh, a rope coming up from each of the boards, and they have to walk together. And that is the only game we do every year. And every other year, we come up with a number of other different kind of relay style games and i would tell you but then you know yep no i get it, it i understand it i understand i understand you can't have any advantages here so exactly. uh what's fabulous here jody is you're uh, not only educating about as you said the agricultural world where all of these fairs started but but also uh you're you're exposing kids to something that they many of them probably or may not have seen certainly to that uh, detail and you're creating interest in the fair for future generations yeah, and I mean, we have our free kids play area, the kids zone, has a straw mow in it. Now, I don't know about you and where you grew up. You said you were in a demo derby a while ago. Have you ever yeah. played in straw? No, no. no. Well, it's it's kind of crazy, very messy, but it's actually a lot of fun. A little bit itchy. <laughs> all right, so uh, give us all the details. Give us all the logistics here. Uh, it's on now. It runs all weekend. Uh, op- uh, where you are, op- op- opening, closing, all that sort of stuff. Okay, so we open daily at 10 a.m. Well, 10 a.m. tomorrow, 10.30 on Sunday. Uh, the buildings close at 10 p.m. each day. You can get your tickets online at www.caledoniafair.ca. the easiest way to get it. In Caledonia, uh, just of um, Argyle Street on Caithness, and you can't miss us when you come into town. We also have a shuttle that will be operating tom- tonight and tomorrow from Gateway Church, if you're interested in that. And uh, got every- we've got Midway Church. We've got everything you want in a classic country fair of your memories and more. All right, Jody Easton with us, second VP of the Caledonia Fair, 151st edition on now, caledoniafair.ca to find out all the details. Have fun, Jody. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks for your time, and I hope to see you at the fair. Grey Cup festivities all uh, coming to a head. We're hearing more and more about it as, of course, uh, it all approaches. 2023 Grey Cup festivities, full swing. Just mentioned Carrie Underwood, the latest being added to uh, the big show. Let's bring in Ryan McHugh, Manager of Tourism and Events, City of Hamilton. And with us now, Ryan, thank you for the time. Hope you're well. Good afternoon, Scott. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Ryan, let's get to it right off the top here. How much more would it mean to you and just the general tourism events and, and economics of the city if our team is actually in this or was in this? Well, uh, 
it would be uh, just absolutely incredible just for the game. And we saw that in 2021 where we almost had the dream scenario where the Ticats just couldn't pull it out in overtime. But um, I think one is, you know, a Hamiltonian, it would be incredible uh, for the Ticats to get to the big game and win it. But from a tourism perspective, two out-of-town teams isn't the worst thing in the world either. You get lots of hotels, lots of economic impact. So uh, as a Hamiltonian, I'm rooting for the black and gold. But wherever it lands, it's going to be a spectacular event. And this is one of those shows that, you know, people just follow it around. So wherever it goes, it brings everything with it. It's really true. And it's something where I just really want to say hats off to the Ticats and the CFL. This uh, 2023 Grey Cup Festival is really the biggest and most ambitious um, Grey Cup Festival, at least in recent memory. And that's, uh, I don't think, a controversial thing to say in these CFL circles. Uh, in addition to the big game on November uh, 19th, let's hope the Ticats are in it. Uh, there's also a uh, essentially a super crawl festival uh, happening on James Street North on the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So this includes uh, a Christmas market, live concerts, also the Armory on uh, James Street will also be open, and they'll have tons of fan activations. And as if you know, if, if the Grey Cup and the Super Crawl wasn't enough, there's also a concert series, and Carrie Underwood will be uh, the headliner on the Friday night, so that's November 17th. Mm. And I hear there's big announcements coming for a Saturday night concert as well as a halftime show. So stay tuned for that. Lots of information still to come out on this, Ryan, isn't there? I mean, we're, yes. we're certainly, we haven't got to the cherry on top yet. No, absolutely. And I, I would uh, encourage your, because it is coming, uh, big announcements are coming quickly. So at greycupfestival.ca, uh, I just say to your listeners, uh, all the latest announcements are there. And uh, as uh, the programming, there's going to be over 40 events throughout Hamilton, all of them walkable, a lot of them free as well, which is just incredible um, so would encourage you to greatcupfestival.ca and if you're uh, you know visiting in town tourismhamilton.com is a great place to go as well to find out what, where to eat where to play what does it do Ryan over the course of the weekend as far as bringing out of towners in any numbers any any ideas sort of gauge as to how this ramps up the uh, the city for the weekend as far as bringing people in it does. Uh, so, you know, I'd say in Regina last year, which uh, when we had it in 2021, it was a modified. So that's yeah, a bit of a yeah, down. So yeah. you didn't get the full bang for your buck. But even in um, 2021, the CFL's economic impact study talked about you know, $20 million in economic impact. And in Regina last year, that number was closer to $60 million. So, um, you know, given the amount of programming and great Festival, not just the game, you know, the concerts, the Super Crawl, Santa Claus Parade on the Saturday. Um, you know, I think <laughs> there's, uh, you know, we're going to be upwards uh, well, well over 60 million that Regina did. And uh, let's hope pushing 100 million. And that's rest, or all our restaurants full, our bars full, hotels full, air, airport packed. So just an amazing thing for the tourism sector and brings a lot of new money into Hamilton, which is just a wonderful thing. You know what the great thing is here, Ryan, listening to all of this, is, you, you know, many times um, events, uh, organizations, what have you, operate in their own little silos, doing their own little things, and that's just fine. But it really sounds like you brought everybody into this and everything into this that makes Hamilton great. And now, of course, with the Grey Cup, this brings the audience, this brings the, the eyeballs onto the city, and boom, it's running on all eight cylinders. You know what I mean? It's like you, you've got lots of different stuff here that even on its own would be great. 
It, it is. And this is, uh, again, credit to the, the Tiger Cats. Um, you know, they, they put on world-class football games. No one does it like them. They're at Tim Hortons Field. But mm-hmm. they said, if we're going to do this big and really showcase Hamilton, we need partners. And they brought in Supercrawl, Santa Claus Parade, uh, you know, you name it. Uh, and said, um, even there's a, a, a children's running race from Gage Park where they brought in Around the Bay. So they said, let's get all these great event organizers and just activate the whole city. And, you know, I can tell you whether you're a you know, football fan or not, yeah. you will know the great cups in town because they're just going to be so much activation and just fun for everyone. And whether that's a paid ticketed for the big show, or Carrie Underwood concert or free events such as the super crawl festival. So, so how, how did you get to the, the Santa Claus, uh, Santa Claus parade angle on this? How did that come about? Yeah, well, it's one, you know, it's, uh, it happens around then anyways, right? Why not? I mean, it's a great idea. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta tell you, it's been, uh, and I see the the city side of the event, organizing all the events, logistics, and, uh, you know, a police, fire, EMS, just to accommodate all these road closures. It's incredible just to see them do that. So something where, um, you know, they said, and here's another idea, and it was kind of, why not? Everyone's right there. So let's just move it over onto John and That'll be two hours during the Saturday, which will also have a super crawl. We'll also have a big concert <laughs> and yep. then the Grey Cup the next day. So it's um, and the nice thing is with the Santa Claus parade, it'll be Grey Cup themed. So you'll have cheerleaders. You'll have uh, the Grey Cup itself making an appearance. So just an opportunity to make that great event bigger and better. And you said it's got. Why not? Yeah, you know, again, many would look at this and say, well, you can't have all that going on at one time because it's, uh, like you said, the traffic. And, you know, let's be honest, Ryan, it's going to be hell down there as far as getting around. But, you know, it's not about that. It's about the party. It's about the festivities. It's about getting your shoes on and, and getting a comfortable shoes on and getting out and seeing stuff. So congratulations. I mean, it really looks like you got an amazing event planned. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it should be really special. And again, uh, you know, hats off to the Ticats, the CFL, Super Crawl, Santa Claus Parade, Around the Bay, all the great partners that make it happen. We're so excited about it as Tourism Hamilton in the city. So when do you think we're going to find out more about, obviously, uh, well, obviously halftime show, that's going to be the big, uh, big thing as well. But you said there's another concert coming in. Any idea when we're going to hear all that? I, I, I'm told we're very close. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to uh, make any bold no. predictions here, but I bet by... Over the weekend, early next week, uh, another the next uh, nice big announcement will come. So uh, stay stay tuned. And I hear it's a big one too. So all right, there you go. Twenty twenty three Grey Cup festivities. It is going to be uh, everything's going to be firing <laughs> in Hamilton. So it's going to be quite the party. Ryan McHugh with his manager of tourism and events, City of Hamilton. Stay tuned. It ain't over yet. Ryan, good luck. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. Going to bring in Alyssa Freeman, PR pop culture expert, Alyssa PR. And uh, this should be fun because, you, you know, she knows a little thing about uh, public relations and such. And we're going to play you two ads uh, because they've started. And one is geared towards uh, the conservatives. One is geared towards the liberals. To talk more about all this, Alyssa Freeman here now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. I am, Scott. I'm eager to hear this. Press play. I- you know what? I, <laughs> it almost has sort of like a game show feel to it, doesn't it, Alyssa? I know. I, I, I know? don't know whether to do this or wait for Hammerhead Trivia, but I'll do this. <laughs> 
I know. It's beautiful. All right. So uh, we honestly just did this on the uh, flying by the seat of our pants. We weren't supposed to do this right now. Uh, and and Will and, and Tom have pulled it all together. But I'm listening to the show, and there's ads running already politically. We know about the Pierre Polyev ads, but now uh, liberal third-party ads are starting to run. This one from the Lead Now Society and, you know, trying to paint the anti-PP story versus the anti-Trudeau story. Uh, so we're going to play them both for you. Are you ready? Are you strapped in, Alyssa? I'm strapped in. All right. Here is the uh, ad from the Lead Now Society. The following is paid advertising, and the views expressed are those of Lead Now Society and are not necessarily the views of 900 CHML. Does it feel like extremists are taking over the Conservative Party? On top of having climate deniers in their party, under their new leader, Pierre Polyev, many Conservatives want to limit access to health care for transgender people and stop fighting racism in the workplace. The thought of these policies taking hold in our country scares me. It makes me wonder, is Pierre Polyev too extreme to be our Prime Minister? Authorized by Lead Now Society. Oh, I just want to scream. I, I like I was going to just go on a rant there, but I can't because that's not being neutral. Um, and now we're going to listen to a Pierre Polyev ad. The only problem is, is this one's a minute and that one's only 30 seconds. So I might cut it off at 30 seconds because you don't want to give either one too much time. Right. Is that fair? Well, I'm, OK, go ahead. Yeah. OK, OK, here it is. Who is Pierre Polyev? Many know him as the common sense leader the country needs. His schoolteacher parents know him as the boy they adopted and raised in their modest home in the suburbs of Calgary. His dad knows him as the son he took to early morning hockey games. His neighbors know him as the boy who used to deliver the morning newspaper. His children know him in Francais, Espanol, and English as Papa. All right, so that's 30 seconds of a 60-second ad. I don't want to play 60 of one and 30 of another because um, I'll get hung for that. So uh, basically, that was uh, Pierre Polyev's wife talking about it. That is an ad from the Conservative Party of Canada. Uh, from the Conservative Party of Canada, it's not a third-party ad. Unlike the one we just had, to be fair, which is a third-party ad, it's not from the Liberal Party. However, obviously, uh, you, you know which way it leans. All right, Alyssa, what are your thoughts? Well, it's really interesting. Um, I'm just going to talk about the, the the ads, not whether I, you know, not not from a sort of whether I would vote for that person point of view, right. but what they're trying to do. So the liberal ad is really one message. It is one note. Is Pierre Polyev too extreme for this country? Are the conservatives too extreme for this country? One message, very clear. They make no bones about what they're worried about. End. The other ad, now this one, get get to know Pierre ad, as I like to call them. This is uh, has been playing for a while. And you know what? I think it's probably been very effective. You know, Pierre is this. He's a good, you know, he's a good guy. He came from a nice, humble family. He's this, he's that. We're not talking about, the difference is, is that the anti-Pierre ad is about his politics. The pro-Pierre ad is about, look at me, I'm a nice guy. Not about my politics, not necessarily what I believe in, although you can choose to infer what I believe in because I'm a nice guy. So that's the major difference. The liberals are not trying to paint a new picture of Justin Trudeau. That ship has sailed. That ship sailed like after 2015. So what they're trying to do is go directly at the thing that they feel worries most Canadians 
And that swing vote would actually prevent them from leaving the liberals and going to vote for the PCs. So, you know, the, the fright, the frightening ads, we may say we don't like them. We don't think that they should happen. They're unnecessary. But I need to tell you, they do work. And you can see the Republicans south of the border have used those type of ads, you know, to great effect. And, and so have mm. Democrats. So, you know, if you this is the message, Scott, that you and I are going to be hearing now for the next two, two and a half years. It's going to be an extremist message. It's going to be a scary message. And they're not going to veer from it. And the only reason, one of the only reasons that they have chosen to go this route is obviously they've done their market research. They've done their polling. And they've come across this narrative, this nugget, and they're going to roll with it. Um, we're almost out of time. I, I think it's fear versus reality. And um, obviously, as you mentioned, they're trying to paint uh, Pierre Polyev as an extremist, which I find very odd because the Liberal Party has now gone so far to the left, they're joining the extreme NDP on the left. So it, it's, it's, it's funny. It's, it's amazing that look at what that guy is, even though I'm the exact same thing, but on the opposite side. I find it fascinating. You know, this is it. So it, it depends. Like, if you're a hardcore conservative and if you really don't like Trudeau, none of this is probably going to affect you. But right now, they're trying to look at sort of that yeah. middle spot. And right. that's where they're trying to go straight down the line right there. All right, Alyssa Freeman with us, PR and pop culture expert. Alyssa PR, as always, that was calmer than I thought it would be. Lots of fun. We'll do this again. Uh, maybe we could make it a regular feature. It's time to play right. the ads. All right, All right Alyssa. <laughs> have a great weekend. Thanks so much. And you too, thanks, Scott. Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer. He'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. All right, let's get a U.S. perspective of not only what's happening down there and the hell they're going through, but the hell we're going through up here, too. See who hell, whose hell is worse. Let's bring in Brian J. Karam, journalist and author, White House correspondent for Playboy and political analyst for CNN, and with us now. Brian, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I'm well. It's hotter hell down here, brother. <laughs> I don't know. We might be able to debate that. Uh, yeah, before we hold my beer, <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, before we get to your problems, uh, okay. let's talk about let's talk about our problems. And uh, we just wondered because we're hearing it, it's a bit of an international story. The whole Nazi in the Parliament story uh, is it getting much hay down in the U.S.? Well, uh, apparently it depends on who you talk to in the U.S. The Nazi lovers love it. Um, the rest of us are not <laughs> so happy. Uh, yeah, we've heard about it. But it, like I said, it pales every time you try to outdo us with outlandishness. Man, we just double down and have an insurrection. So, I mean, the, <laughs> the Nazis are just going nuts down here for that. Oh, man. All right. So. Uh, so, again, it depends who you ask on 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 whether it's resonating down in the U.S. of it, A. It resonates. Right. But it's it, I mean, like I said, it it resonates to the level that our craziness is far. It, it's, it's like we can't be bothered with craziness anywhere else in the world right now. Yeah, we're, we're just full up with it right here. But well, yeah, see, that's a it. huge story. I mean, you can't get away from the fact that in this day and age, there are governments that are raising Nazis. So, yeah, that comes in. And whether it's by chance or 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 on purpose, the real thing about this is where's the information? Why, why aren't you uh, yeah. ahead of the game and know 
I mean, it's just bad PR and uh, your government suffers from it and ours suffer from it. And it's like, I, I honestly don't understand communication in any government because it just should say the lack of communication department and it would be far more accurate. Uh, yeah, a lot of the same problems, both sides of the border. Are, are you guys shut down yet? I, I mean, I remember, I'm old enough to remember, you're like shut down every other week or so, don't you? <laughs> well, the the GOP runs the show down here in the House. So, yeah, it's been out of service and out of order since since it took place. Um, right now, we're more busy having um, uh, indict, whether it's a pre-hearing to determine if there should be an inquiry into whether or not they will uh, go after Joe Biden and impeach him. And so right. in this hearing that they've had, they say there's not enough information to go. It's, it's like a clown show. So they're more interested in talking about that than they are the fact that at any moment, the government will not be able to fund itself and will have to shut down. All right. So interesting uh, watching bits of the debate that you had, uh, the Republicans, not you had, the Republicans had down there. And it seemed that some of them uh, head on full on attacking the Donald for not being there. Is, is anything changing here? <laughs> no, the Donald is scared to death to be caught in a debate. So he's only going to appear at rallies where he can rant and rave. And he also ran. Uh, Trump said they're all running for his second place and who's going to be his VP or or work in his uh, administration next time. He's still unaware of the fact that he's probably not going to be on the ballot next year. And th- the scary part is the, the seven that were on stage the other night, I you wouldn't have them over to your house for a barbecue, much <laughs> less, you know, vote for them. I mean, if, if somebody that seriously warped walked into most people's backyard and started with the rants that we heard in the debates, we would probably call the police and have them put away for mental inquest. All right. So where is the situation with the Donald in the court cases, the the perpetual court cases, what have you? How, how, at what point does that in the campaign intersect? Well, it's going to start Monday. Uh, the, the judge ruled, uh, gave a summary judgment that Donald Trump had perpetrated a fraud in New York uh, with his business dealings for many years. So on Monday, the hearing will Began as to, I mean, that's a settled uh, unless he appeals it, and he probably will. And then if he appeals it, then the judge will probably deny it or uh, could put it back on trial, but likely not. So you've got a summary judgment that he's defrauded people for years in New York. So what happens Monday is the beginning of the hearing to see just how much this is going to cost, dear Don. And so that's going to, that plays huge. But at the same time, we just had an announcement maybe an hour ago that uh, one of the first defendants in the Georgia case, Mr. Hall, who was the bail bondsman involved in that uh, case down there, he has pled guilty. So that's not going to sit well with Donald either, that he's pled guilty and promised to testify truthfully in all matters going forward. So that means that, well, he'll probably, they'll work their way up the ladder and flip everybody until they get to Don, and then they'll put him away. All right. Do you know that uh, are Americans aware that that Canadians, especially on the left, will use Americans as an example? Like they often, you know, we've got a conservative uh, opposition leader up here and sooner or later there will be an election and and the left are running ads that, you know, he's he's an extremist like the extreme right in the U.S. and all of that's coming up here. Meanwhile, we're doing that from the extreme left. It's very bizarre how whenever we want to feel better about ourselves, we look to you guys. (laughs) 
<laughs> what does that say, Brian? There's, there's, there's at least 10 minutes of good comic material in that <laughs> one statement. But you are you are so true. And I remember there was a comic, Richard Jenny, who said, listen, if you've gone too far left or too far right, you've gone too far. So <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, the U.S. meets Canada, vice versa. Always fun. Brian J. Cram with us, uh, journalist, author, White House correspondent for Playboy and political analyst for CNN. Always fun, Brian. Have yourself a great weekend. You too, brother. Be safe. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. This is, um, you know, it almost seems like deja vu all over again, because I remember this was an issue years ago, and now it seems to be again. Uh, police issuing a safety advisory after swarming robberies and violence at Hamilton area fairs. And this has been a situation all over uh, Ontario. Recent youth-related swarming incidents at several fairs uh, in the area, the center of a public advisory issued by police. The recommendation comes after a victim was not only robbed at the Ancaster Fair on Saturday, but also sent to hospital with minor injuries. Investigators say the incidents of similar patterns with a group of, or groups of youths surrounding an individual to steal personal items and at times deteriorating into violence includes bags, smartphones, jewelry, wallets, and some of the items reported to have been taken. Uh, police have responded to occurrences that went on to Peach Festival, Festival of Friends at Gage Park, Bimbrook Fair, uh, and the latter, another physical alter- altercation with two females in front of some 50 onlookers caption, uh, capturing the uh, incident on mobile phones, which again brings me to another aspect of this. Um <laughs> You think there's safety in numbers? Well, not when every not when everyone has a phone that takes your picture. It just amazes me. Steve Jordan's with his professor of psychology, University of Toronto, and here now. Steve, thank you for the time. Hope you're well. Great, Scott. Great to be with you again. I am. How do you explain this, Steve? And isn't this like I remember this happening a, a while ago, years ago, a long time ago, and now it seems to be rearing its ugly head again. Yeah, and 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 it, it is so scary, and and I think part of that sort of both sides of that story and relates to this word I think you just said, which was power, Um, or I think you said safety in numbers. There's often power in numbers. Uh, And so I think when we see power get mixed with a feeling of escaping consequences, um, then often we'll see people and we can just imagine, you know, people in positions of power and how corruption so often happens that, that once somebody starts feeling they have um, a lot of power, they will sometimes engage in behaviors they would never consider doing otherwise. And, and I think a lot of these swarms of people, that's part of the story is they're getting that feeling of power from the crowd. They have a sense that they can escape consequences. You're highlighting the, the phone aspect, which is real. Um, but apparently, in a lot of cases, these people have changes of clothes and they, and they literally adopt a certain mm. hairstyle. And so they're trying to beat that as well. Um, and they get a couple of other things. They, they get community as well. When you do something with a group of people that produces an emotional reaction in you and you share that emotions with, with the others, you become more bonded. So they actually become a sort of a community of people who've done this thing. And social media can just sort of make that thing even bigger and more powerful. Um, and so, you know, I think those are some of the forces that are that are at play there, along with something called diffusion of responsibility. Once you do something with a bunch of people, 
It's like, yeah, hmm. it wasn't really my fault. There were other people and you always have other people to point the finger at. Um, and yeah. both even when you're telling yourself the story of why would I engage in this, you can tell yourself, well, I wasn't the main player. I wasn't whatever. It was other people. And you can sort of, yeah, diffuse that responsibility amongst the crowd. Sort of like they did it too. So uh, what's the difference? What's the problem? Yeah. Yeah, and the reason we yeah. all find it horrifying is sort of the other side of that power. You know, you could be a relatively, I'm, I'm a six foot three, almost 200 pound guy who works out now and then. When I think of 100 teenagers swarming me, I've just yeah. lost any power I have. You know, any one or two of them, I could probably feel pretty good about. But you give me 100 um, and, and I have that complete loss of power. So when any of us imagine ourselves out, um, you know, doing something and then this happening to us, it's scary. It really is an immediate loss of any power that we might have in that situation. And that's why so many of us find this, I think, so shocking and, and fearful. Very similar to what we're seeing uh, in the U.S. when all of a sudden a swarm of people go in and, and take over a store and just start pilfering everything. Yeah. And, and you'll see in those videos when they do that, you see the, the people who work there just kind of standing back. Um, they yeah. don't know what to do because they do feel like, yeah, their power has been taken totally from them. Um, and, you know, to some extent, they're an employee in the store anyway. So am I going to put myself in a position where I'm going to be physically, you know, beaten up um, to protect right. the store where I work? And, and you see, this is what the swarms rely on is that people just say, nope, that imbalance is too big. I'm just going to stand back and maybe shoot video of it. So the videos uh, are people capturing on this video, uh, capturing this on video yeah. isn't a concern, man. If you got a hit a hoodie and everybody looks the same and they'll never pick me out from anyone else. That's the, I guess, freedom of it all. Yeah. And it seems like, well, it doesn't seem like, um, I mean, young people are growing up in, in a time where the primary reward, reward system they sometimes run into are likes and reposts and basically right. you know, doing something that creates a whole bunch of attention. And they know these YouTubers who are making a living doing stuff like this and, you know, whatever is the, is the thing of the day that's gone viral. And there, there's, a, I think, a desire to be part of that, to feel like I could be part of something that kind of grabs attention in that way. It seems to have a lot of cachet now, um, and it didn't even exist when we were young. And, and so now I think that's part of, of the attraction, if we want to call it that as well, that, hey, we're going to go with a gang of people, we're going to do these things, and we'll see it all over the TV and whatever. And again, that that fact that the feeling of no consequence, nobody can do anything about it, um, is a very empowering feeling. Uh, does so, that, yeah, Steve? Does that override uh, the reality, the fact that it is wrong, or does that even come out of the discussion? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say we we see it over. We have that you know uh, term that ultimate power ultimately corrupts or, or or something like that. We see that play out over and over again, and and this is why in things like democracies where we have you know periods in which you you can only serve for so many years and then you're out, we have mechanisms in place literally to prevent people from just saying, ah, I like this power. I like right. to be able to do whatever I want almost without consequence. I'm not giving it up. And, you know, the more people go down that path, the more extreme that gets. And we can see that playing out in Ukraine and, and other places in the world. It seems like humans, you know, have our morals, we have our ethics, but when you give us um, an extreme power to do things without consequence, those things seem to take a backseat, our morals and ethics. And it's scary and true um, at the same time. How do you stop, uh, prevent this? How do you reduce it? How do you rebound? 
Yeah, I mean, very tricky. Uh, you know, one thing is the consequence uh, that we talk about. And when you look at some of the, um, you know, various channels where people are talking about the swarming behavior, and especially when parents are involved, especially parents whose children have been more the victims of this, there is a continual call to, you know, really make sure that we that you try your best to find out who these people are, get it on their record that they engaged in this sort of behavior. And, and so you see back and forth forces where, you know, other parents are saying, yeah, but they're too young. We don't want them this following them for their life. Um, but other parents say, no, no, there needs to be a consequence. We need to show that as society, you know, we really, um, we don't approve of this behavior and we will literally track down people and, and use some sort of social embarrassment. And, and sometimes that sort of social shaming uh, has been shown to, to rein some people in on, on in social media kind of worlds, people who seem to be doing ridiculous things to, to get attention and likes and shares that when the social shaming comes in, it seems like they back off. So that, that may mm. be one answer, education may be another but I have to say, you know, when I first heard about the swarming behavior, I was taken aback and, and literally like, wow, if this becomes a thing, how do we stop it? Um, and, you know, I, <laughs> so I just, I'll just leave it there. I, yeah, I don't I have you. a nice answer of, oh, we just have to do X. I think it's a very complex and challenging issue. Steve Jordan's with us, professor of psychology, University of Toronto. Steve, as always, thanks for the discussion. Much appreciated. Have a great weekend. You too, Scott. Thank you. Canada's National Day of Truth and Reconciliation tomorrow. And tomorrow, the city of Hamilton is unveiling all, all our relations in the city's West Harbor. The work of public art was made by a team of local indigenous artists, including Angela Montigny, indigenous designer, fashion designer, artist, entrepreneur, workshop facilitator, and public speaker. Angela is with us now. Angela, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so, Angela... Angela, I'm on your uh, your Instagram page now. How do you go from fashion designer to doing 40-foot panels in uh, the West Harbor? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when an opportunity presents itself, if you're an artist, you know, whether it's fashion or, or anything, you, you know, it's a creative process. You can do anything, right? So give us some backstory here. Uh, start as a fashion designer first. How has your artistic career evolved? Well, I've been, um, I guess, what people would call a pioneer of Indigenous luxury fashion for over 25 years. So I've shown all over the world. I've been the first Indigenous designer to show during South Africa Fashion Week, um, New Zealand. I've wow. taught workshops in Suriname and Guyana to Indigenous uh, women in remote villages, like all sorts of stuff. And, when you think... Um, hmm? No, go ahead, go ahead. So, and I've also had, I started out actually on Six Nations um, with my husband at the time, who's from that community, and we opened the first on-reserve um, apparel factory like 20, 26 years ago now that's, that was on-reserve. And so it's, yeah, it's been a, a lifelong journey. <laughs> a lifelong journey. How has it changed in the last few years with Truth and Reconciliation and Canadians different view of all of this now? Have you noticed that? Has it changed? Has it drawn more attention to what you do? It has. And, um, you know, it's a long time coming. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's great to see, um, like that is really the truth part and, and really 
you know, COVID, unfortunately, um, as tough as that whole situation was, did was kind of a catalyst in a way. And throughout the last three or four years, so much information has come to light. And that is really um that has really made a difference and, and woken people up to the actual true history of this country. So now we're able to have more conversations. People are able to, people want to know more. They want to know the, the and have the education that they, they didn't get in school and, and all that. So it presents a really awesome opportunity to finally be able to share that. How interested are people in where uh, your inspiration comes from and how you make the designs you do, whether it's on uh, something in fashion or uh, a panel that we're talking about down at, at um, on the waterfront? What 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 does it draw from your indigenous roots and, and how 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 is the how are the rest of us um, um, interpreting that? Well, I've always used even my fashion collections as a means to educate people about Indigenous culture and and my heritage specifically. So, you know, especially in my last few fashion collections that I did before COVID, you know, they were about um, other respect. Uh, they were talking about um, Indigenous cosmology I've had Cree language that that I put um, on the backs and embroidered on some of my leather jackets, talking about, you know, um, our star people and creation stories and things like that. So, you know, when it's people have always loved the fact that my clothing had meaning. And so that is always Mm. there's always been a spiritual, cultural foundation to everything that I create, especially with this um, public art installation. All right, let's talk a bit about that. I'm looking at it right now. It is absolutely beautiful. And, oh, and as you, it stands, they stand 40 feet high. Where does the inspiration yes. come from this? Try to describe them because I can't do that by looking at your Instagram. So all our relations is a way um, how I personally have been taught to uh, give thanks when I'm in my own personal ceremonies or even when we're in, in group ceremonies. Uh, Haudenosaunee Thanksgiving address does the same thing, is where you give thanks to all living things. So the, you know, our relationship to Grandfather Sun and Grandma the Moon and the stars and the Thunderbird and and all of that. So it's, you know, the four-legged, the the animals, the birds, the trees, Mother Earth, um, the water, the, the swimmers that we call them, the plants, the medicines, all of that. Because they are all we are related to all of them. We are all connected to them. So even though for the, for this particular public art call, it was about the water and the waterfront, I wanted to bring all of this to attention to everyone because we are all connected. Without the water, we all need that. All all of those living beings that are from this area specifically too wouldn't survive without it. Uh, are you are you aware how much this is touching the non-indigenous community? Yeah, and I'm and that just honestly, every time I go down to the site, I I cry. <laughs> <laughs> really emotional. Okay, tell. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. 
Well, we had like it is it is a um, a spiritually led installation, and and that is in everything that I do, and so I know how powerful that is, and it does reach people, and they can feel it, and that is the the most powerful gift I can give people, I think. And uh, absolutely beautiful. All our relations, the city's West Harbor, unveiling officially tomorrow. Five 40-foot panels uh, adorned with thousands of colorful, uh, colorful glass beads representing traditional indigenous teachings, the Thanksgiving address, Hamilton's biodiversity. Angela D. Montigny with us, indigenous designer, fashion designer, artist, entrepreneur, <laughs> workshop facilitator, and public speaker. There you go, Angela. Congratulations. Good luck. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hope to see everybody there tomorrow. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. All right, the week that was, and uh, what a week it was. Uh, Where does Canada stand on the world stage now, or is it even on the stage? More like uh, on the loading dock. Uh, bringing the equipment in. Let's bring in Charles Burton, Senior Fellow, Center for Advancing Canada's Interest Abroad at the McDonald laurier Institute in here now. Charles, thank you for your time. Hope you're well. I am, Scott. Good to hear from you. So, obviously, uh, the week that was, uh, your thoughts after you, you digest all of this, obviously the President Zelensky situation in the House of Commons, the Nazi in the gallery, the PM not uh, commenting on it for days, leaving his MPs to say things like, we should erase this from the record, and then the infamous apology. What are your thoughts of where we are now? Well, you know, Canada is not the country that we think it is internationally. Um, you know, I think we feel that we have a lot of soft power, that we can convince other nations to go along with us, say, with regard to sanctioning India over the allegation that they sponsored a uh, you know, a mob hit of a Canadian citizen. And I think we find out that, you know, soft power has to be accompanied by hard power. And we may have, we did have the third largest Navy in the world after World War II. But since then, we just haven't put the in- investment into contributing to global peace and security. And the result is that, you know, we just are weak in foreign policy. And this fiasco over you know all the members of the house of commons jumping up and applauding um um you know someone that turns out to have been a collaborator with uh, the nazis in world war ii is just indicative of how far away we are from from behaving the way that our allies expect us to behave so you know the india thing started off first and just as we were trying to recover from that you know, you make an enormous forced error in the House of Commons in the presence of the um, uh, president of the Ukraine and empowering the Russians to claim that uh, this just proves again that their invasion of Ukraine is to remove a, a fascist Ukrainian regime from power and install one which is uh, consistent with Russian and Ukrainian traditional norms. So, you know, we look extremely bad and I, I I just don't know how we're going to recover from it. The fact that the prime minister was caught last year admitting that Canada would never achieve 2% of mm-hmm. our um, gross national product contribution to defense when NATO wants us to make 2%, the absolute minimum that a NATO country would contribute, you know, just adds to the feeling that we just don't we just don't seem to understand that our power in the world is failing and that 
you know, that Canada will suffer if we don't get our act together very soon. And news today that the military budget is going to be reduced or cut by another billion dollars. I mean, just unbelievable. I mean, it's not just, you know, and we're not going up to 2%, but we've been underspending for literally decades and relying on the Americans for our defense. And I think the Americans, particularly Donald Trump, who may return to power in the next election, really has our number. And it's hard for us to convince the Americans to exempt us from, say, Buy America policies if we are not seen as supportive of American purposes to defend freedom and democracy and the international rules-based order in the world. You know, we're just seen as, as free riders who talk a good line but aren't prepared to, to put our, our resources on the line to contribute properly, commensurate with Canada's uh, population and, and wealth in the world. And, you know, it just, I mean, I don't think Canadians want a government that that doesn't pull its weight in international affairs. I think we have a proud tradition of peacekeeping, which we've abandoned. And we used to be a kind of moral leader of, of the decolonization process in the 50s, um, you know, a contributor to international development. And all that has gone uh, because governments neglect our international role in favor of, uh, of domestic matters. And, you know, it doesn't look like the prime minister really understands the gravity of the situation for us going down the road. Charles, I can hear the frustration in your voice, and I'm hearing that from a lot of Canadians. Um, uh, on the world stage, is anybody saying, you got to get rid of this guy? You need a new leader. you gotta, you got to change your direction. Or is that just something you don't say? Oh, no, I think that I think a lot of people are saying that. And you can see in the interactions in these international meetings that our prime minister is not being engaged by the other leaders of, say, the G7 or the G20 the way that he expects to be, because nobody takes uh, him or Canada with the seriousness that Canada really deserves. And so there's a lot of shots of him seemingly like he's alone sitting on an island. Yeah, I think that that's the case. You know, when he first came into power, I think there was a lot more enthusiasm for engaging with Canada, but as years went by and they started to get our number, you know, we're we're being sidelined and it's just what you say about the stage. We're no longer in the front of the stage. We're we're way in the back or maybe off stage for for a lot of international activity and that is not good for Canada. You know, it's a globalizing world and we should be properly part of it, not withdrawing into simply investing in domestic affairs to the neglect of of our international military commitment. And the latest cuts are just indicative that in my opinion, we're getting it exactly wrong. Um, obviously, um, uh, lots of tension between uh, India and and Canada now, and, and even division within India itself with this whole situation. It seems the Prime Minister is going after extremes, and now he's lost everybody. Um, that being said, is India calling for him to be replaced, for him to step down? Well, I mean, certainly there is a lot of very dismissive um, uh, commentary in the Indian press about Mr. Trudeau and yeah. you know, they, they refer to him as like a teenager. And, and I mean, there's been some just horrendous disinformation, for example, yeah, yeah. that, you know, that, that they detected cocaine in his airplane yeah, and that he, we heard that, you know, he stayed in his room for two days and so on. I, there's no factual no. basis for this, but you know, it no. does just go to show the degree of disdain that we're seeing towards him. Um, and, uh, you know, this is also not good. I mean, false allegations 
uh, you know, never lose their taint. And so as soon as they start raising this, people start to have pause and question about him. So, you know, the fact that they're doing that is destructive in and of itself, uh, even though, you know, I think we can be pretty assured that there's absolutely no basis for the idea that our prime minister is is a cokehead, as, no. as they yeah. may depict it, you know. Charles Burton, senior fellow with the Center for Advancing Canada's Interest Abroad at the McDonald Laurier Institute, the week that was and how we move forward. Charles, as always, thanks for the time. Have a great weekend. And you too, Scott. Tasha Kiridin joins us, journalist, writer with the National Post, G Zero Media, and her Substack page, in my opinion, author of The Right Path, and the latest uh, in the National Post, uh, Mark Carney jumpstarts the Trudeau Death Watch. Why does this have to be jumpstarted is, of course, my question. <laughs> and Tasha is here now. Tasha, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Oh, yes. Thank you. So uh, what what resonated with me in your column today was, was not so much about Mark Carney, um, was that just considering what has been happening of late, uh, crisis after crisis after crisis, self-inflicted in many ways, in many situations. If you're on the left or if you're a liberal, how are you not saying enough is enough? This guy's dragging the party down. We're tired of making excuses for him. We're tired of falling on the sword, uh, you know, taking off for three days and, and leaving Katrina Gould to say things like, we should just erase this all from the record. Like, how, at what point do liberals say enough? Well, uh, some of them are starting to say enough. Um, you know, so I talked to uh, almost a dozen of them um, for the piece, and they, uh, you know, range in sort of levels of frustration. Um, I think that uh, lately it's a combination of bad polls and bad judgment, to your point. Um, you know, deputizing Karina Gould to go out there and try to mm. erase the tape and uh, say there's nothing to see as a speaker's fault. It's like, you know, here's the bus, mm. back it over, beep, 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 beep. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, just, it boggles the mind. Um, and now we're apparently, well, apparently we are, cutting a billion dollars from defense. Yeah. At a time when our NATO partners are asking us to beat our 2% target, and we just committed a pile of money to Ukraine. I'm confused. I'm seriously confused by what this government wants to do. So, yeah, a lot of liberals are scratching their heads. Uh, you bring up a valid point, though. The only thing that's missing from this is probably sound effects. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, you throw up the name Mark Carney and, you know, a former uh, Bank of Canada governor and such. Like, even at first blush, people will go, yeah, I'll take him right now. And, and, and <laughs> like, it just it just seems so obvious. Yeah, well, it's, you know, I... I um, was at the event that he spoke at. I was on a, a media panel earlier in the, in the morning, and so I stuck around for the lunch. And um, he was um, he was very impressive. A lot of people in the audience they they really reacted positively. I spoke to the uh, organizers later at another um, event later in the evening, and and they said that people thought it was they were blown away. Um, he you know he's he's written about his vision for uh, you know, the economy and the, the world writ large values with his book. And uh, he is, uh, you know, he, he pulls no punches. He's a big fan of the green economy. He's um, in favor of the carbon tax, which obviously puts him at odds with, uh, would, would put him at odds with the conservatives in a big way, but would be consistent with the liberal brand. But he's also very pro-business. You know, I mean, this is a guy who ran two um, mm -hmm. national banks, the Canadian and the UK. He was governor yeah. of both. Um, has a great reputation over the pond as well. Um, so, you know, he, he understands his economics. When he was explaining the stuff with charts and graphs and 
you know, it wasn't, it could have the potential to be boring. It wasn't, <laughs> I will say. Mm. And he even joked about it. He said, you know, economics is hard sometimes to get people to be excited or pay attention. But, um, you know, he, he, he gets it. He understands that you can't just grow government endlessly. Um, and so he deviates from the current liberal ethos, which is just spend, 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 spend. He, he, he wouldn't cut everything. Clearly, he, he's further, I would say, to the center or the left than the conservatives would be. But he's definitely not where the liberals are right now. Isn't it funny how, you know, you go back to the days of uh, dull old Stephen Harper with his square haircut and his light blue sweater and then the flashy Justin Trudeau. And now here we are looking back at somebody who's, you know, less flash and, you know, uh, know, more go and less uh, show, I guess. Yeah, um, he's not, uh, you know, he's the the thing about Mark Carney is is most people don't. I say he's not a household word, right? People who do know him. Yeah. Um, know him in the business community, know him in the banking community. Um, and, uh, but he's not, uh, he's not a dry banker. Like, you know, you know, the, the, the sort yeah. of dry economist, he's actually quite funny. Um, he was very self-deprecating, uh, and, um, you know, he, he comes across as someone who, who genuinely cares about these issues, which is, I think what people are also maybe looking for is someone who has some empathy and understands. Um, and he certainly isn't starving, so he can't empathize with that, right. but yeah. he is very concerned about, um, people who who don't have you know like the socioeconomic means like that's sort of the goal of his book was to say how do we lift all boats and uh, the values as he puts it that you need to do that he he talks about building very much about building not tearing down so he was hmm. he was attacking the conservatives but not by name it was really interesting sort of obliquely. <laughs> so um, when we talk about leaders for uh, a replacement, who, who comes to mind? Obviously, outside the House, it's people like uh, uh, Mark Carney. Inside, people talk about Freeland or, uh, you know, I mean, my yeah. goodness, Freeland, Jolly. They're all this cut from the same cloth. Uh, Anita Anan seems to come out. That name stands out a bit, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Anita Anand, um, uh, quite a few people were very disappointed with her being shuffled out Treasury Board. Yeah, people in defense. Were, I, I know some, and they they were very unhappy. They thought she had a really good command of the file. It was very a very smart minister. She got the big picture. Maybe that's why they moved her because you know look what's happening now there. Um, I I you know she's one name. Jolie comes up a lot. Um, her just I can't see that. Decker. Yeah, I can't either. But people do, and there's there's a team Jolie out there. Like there's always a team oh. this team that. I mean, none of them are official because there's no leadership, but. You know, she the, the disadvantage is she comes from Quebec, and there's usually an, what they call the alternance, right? If you have a Quebec leader, the next one's from outside Quebec and back right. and forth. So um, Dominic LeBlanc is another name that comes up. Um, Jean, um, François-Philippe Champagne is a big mm, one. Yeah, yeah. Um, Frankie Bubbles, as some call him. He's very bubbly. Uh, yeah. He's got yeah. a good personality. Yeah. And he's got also a lot of economic bona fides. But you're right. The rest of them are all... All of them right now are associated with the current regime, so to speak, and that is a disadvantage. So what will it take before this really starts moving? Will will we have to see the liberals down into single digits in the polls? (laughs) Is there a magic number there? Is there a trigger? Uh, I don't know about that. I think it is. It's a combination of things. I think that um, they, they really can't afford to make that many more of these big mistakes. I think it's a really it's grading on people. It's going to, what's going to happen is morale will start to go down within the party. And that's where things get dangerous. Um, Right now it's still, you know, it's it's not as terrible as as people might think, but you know, that, that there's, there's grumbling happening, but there's no clear 
replacement. So, you know, it's it's still at bay. I think if the polls stay this bad consistently for the next few months, um, people are going to start to say, well, okay, if we're going to cut the cord, it's got to be now because you, you need runway for the person to take over before another election happens, right? So um, that's something that, hmm. that they have to think about. Uh, I don't, I honestly don't know if Trudeau will leave though. This is the thing. He, yeah. he is, like any politician, he has a big ego and he is, um, I think, uh, you know, he doesn't, he, he still runs the party. Like he still runs the party. Um, his people run the party. Except so, when someone does something wrong, Tasha, then he's got nothing yeah, to do does. with it. He's pointed that yes, that's true. They run the party until it's until something goes wrong and then somebody yeah. falls. Um, yeah, but the internals um, are still very much in his control. Tasha Carradine with us, journalist, writer with the National Post, G Zero Media, and her Substack page. In my opinion, author of The Right Path and the latest in the National Post, Mark Carney jumpstarts Trudeau's death watch. That's a great headline. Uh, Tasha, right. thanks for the time. <laughs> Be well. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Bye. Scott Radley joining us, host of The Scott Radley Show. You can read him in your Hamilton Spectator, and he's coming up after the 6 o'clock news. Scott, how are you? I hope you're doing well. I am doing okay, Scott. How are you? I'm doing well. Talk about your uh, situation at the spec. I saw the pictures of you on social media and uh, and Graham and such. What, what was that experience like for you? Uh, you're talking about the building? Yeah, and just, you know, wrapping it up and moving into other offices and then well, moving out of those offices and then into this and that and so on. You know what? Um, these are um, challenging days for anybody in the media, whether it's radio yeah. or TV or yeah. newspapers. And, you know, a huge part of that, and this is not a sales pitch. I didn't know you were going to ask me this. And certainly, I know. This, I know. As, I, as, I'm, as I'm doing this, I realize how much I've cut you off. Guard. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to do it. I just don't want, make, I don't want people thinking that we arrange this as some sort of sales pitch. It's not no, that. But, no. but it is, I will take the opportunity to say, you know, it, it is important that people don't just get their news from podcasts from somebody in their parents' yeah. basement. And... While there are some podcasts and some blogs that are outstanding mm. and there are some amazing ones, um, the reality is that, that most of the stuff that you're getting that is reliable, and I know this is a phrase that people hate these days, but is the mainstream media still. And, mm. and you can trust some things that you read elsewhere, but you, you, I believe you're going to trust the things that you get from professional people who do this for a living who have their credibility on the line. Want me to give you a perfect example? I'll give you a perfect Please. example of this. Um, and none of the major media reported this, but uh, we, we all knew about it. We all knew that the story was floating around and the, the rumors were floating around and, uh, and the false information, disinformation was the whole Trudeau India thing. And they have just been absolutely brutal on Canada and him in regard to this. Uh, and that's another story, but you, you started hearing stories coming out of India that there were drugs found on the plane. That's, and that's it for why us. The plane Thanks for listening. As India, always, we leave it to again, you. The was just, it's just disinformation, just the like you're going to see disinformation coming out of the, you know, the Nazi in the in the gallery uh, situation that happened. And and unfortunately, that stuff spreads and doesn't necessarily get verified as it is in the mainstream media. You know, one of the ironies of this is that, uh, and again, I, look, I, I understand when people say, oh, the mainstream media is, you know, corrupt or the mainstream media is biased or whatever. I, I look, I, I, I get it. I understand. I hear 
hear that and and let's we can discuss that. But the irony of this is most of the people who are writing blogs or doing the podcast or whatever else, the stories that they are talking about, they didn't find the stories. Those stories were reported and found yeah. by the mainstream media. They yes. then got an yes. opinion on it, yeah. but without yeah. that mainstream media, that person no. would not have had the topic. So, I mean, let, let me, let me be personal for a second here. I mean, we, in the last number of weeks have been myself in particular reporting on city hall and the tax increase mm-hmm. that we're facing. Um, you know, a lot of people talking about that now, Hey, are we going to get hit with a 14.2% tax increase? Uh, CHML, I, I believe would have reported on it anyway. Um, but you know, many of the people who are talking on Twitter and such, if not for that mainstream media would never have known that this was something that was looming to have that opinion about it. So it's, and maybe people don't realize that on the point that you're making is that before we all sit down and do these three hour long shows, what do we do? We're doing hours and hours of research and it's going through all of the media as well as social media. Yeah, no, it's, so I understand that. How many stories have I got from the spec in the last year? Are you kidding me? I mean, my leg isn't long enough. No, it's, it's, I understand that it's difficult to subscribe these days because money is tight and people are facing difficult things. I I also would say though, that the op, the, the alternative where all of a sudden the spec or CHML or CHCH Mm -hmm. or whatever goes away, um, without, without being too snarky, imagine with some of the stuff that we see coming out of parliament or Queens park or city hall with media, with media, knowing they're (laughs) there, imagine what they would do if there was nobody who was watching over them. So, (laughs) you know, like this is stuff they're doing, knowing there's a chance someone's going to call them out and find out about it. Now imagine that goes away and it is just whatever you want to do and there's not going to be anybody there to, to check on you. And again, like if someone says, yeah, but the mainstream media is biased. Look, uh, I'm not going to dispute that there are biases. We, we all naturally have biases. But not as a whole. Whatever's, whatever's on on one side is on the other. On balance. If you, and one other thing about this, I've never said, I've argued actually actually, Scott, many times that I would say, you know, as much as I want people to read The Spectator, because I work there, or listen to CHML, I would never say, you know, you should only ever read one publication and that will completely give you everything you need. You should be- We don't do that. You should be well-educated by looking at a number of different things. And each of these places is going to give you a slightly different perspective. That's how it works. But then you hopefully put together- the truth from those different things. Anyway, so the long answer to your question, yes, the spectator is, uh, uh, is not in its newsroom right now. And you know, these are just, as I say, these are, uh, uh, difficult on spectator still going on. I don't want anyone thinking that it's going yeah, away, and, and but everybody it's, and, and same with us, everybody's working as hard as they can to do what they need to do to get it done every day. Absolutely. We're, we're not, we're not all public sector workers who get big 15% <laughs> increases every year. Oh, my God. Don't even go there. All right, Scott. Thank you for the time. Have yourself a great show and a great weekend. You have a great weekend, too, Scott. Take care. 
Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's it for us. I do have a last word here, Ben, uh, and it comes from Mr. Lowe, retired history teacher who always uh, keeps, thing in, uh, keeps things in perspective. And I'll read you a bit of his. Uh, on this gorgeous, sunny day, and after reading and listening to enough news, I had this great thought in my mind. Just imagine if the late Hazel McCallion had gone on, Hazel McCallum, rather, had gone on to provincial politics and became Premier of Ontario. Just imagine the most efficient and productive education and healthcare system in Canada, if not the world. A provincial surplus each year. Hazel would have gone to Ottawa, stood up to the Freedom Convoy, and told him to go the hell home. And they probably would have. The Green Belt would be just that. What if Hazel became PM? Wow. Just imagine. Mr. Lowe. Keep right except to pass. 